Hey Field Hang 10, watch out for a new wave of episodes for Forgotten Cinema Season 9, Forgotten Summer. Ugh, really, Butler, a theme season? Let me guess, we're going to talk about films that were released in the coveted summer months that for some reason seem to be forgotten by audiences. You know it, bro. What we liked about them or maybe didn't, but we'll always recommend people check them out. Maybe they'll find their own Forgotten Summer gem. So check out Forgotten Summer wherever you get your podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hold on, gotta catch this wave. We're sitting at desk in the recording booth. Hello there, I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith. And I'm Andrew Tahada. I am a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a freelance writer with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a film and its connection to the DC animated movie universe, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This is yet another DC Animated Podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC Animated Podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. We became friends before the Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson fights. <laughs> I don't think we placed bets on that one because we were like four, but, you know, we were around for it. We were around longer than their fight, historic fighting <laughs> ear fight. Yes, we definitely got an earful for not betting on that fight, I guess. Ah. <laughs> But speaking of big matches throughout history, we finally get to see the biggest one of all in the DC universe. And I don't mean Batman versus Superman. We finally get to see what happens when Batman faces off with Robin in our film today, Batman versus Robin. This film is mostly based on the story inspired by the 2011-2012 comic by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. This film from 2015, directed by Jay Olivia, introduces us to one of the biggest versus battles in the DC universe and unfolds a bigger conspiracy than Tupac still being alive and selling his mixtapes. Yes, he is there in Hawaii. I've been there. I thought he was in Cuba. He has to keep moving. Oh, okay, that, that's a good point. <laughs> This film with a runtime of 80 minutes, we see the return of many of the voices of the Bat family with Jason O'Mara as Batman, Stuart Allen as Damian Wayne, Sean Mayer as Nightwing, and David McCallum as Alfred. We're also introduced to the film's true antagonist with Jeremy Sisto as Talon. And finally, we get some voice acting royalty coming through with Gray Delisle as Samantha Vanver, Kevin Conroy as Thomas Wayne, and the craziest of them all, Weird Al Yankovic as Anton Shot the Dollmaker. That is some crazy casting, and it definitely fits for this movie, which going in, I admit, I had been like, how many Batman movies are we going to do? I'm so tired of seeing a Batman-focused movie. But then the opening of this movie hit, 
and I immediately changed my mind. <laughs> so true. But before we start, I have to ask, who did you have in this fight when you first saw the title? Well, when you have a fight between two opposites and one is willing to kill and the other isn't, then you got to bet on the one who's going to kill because they'll do anything to win. So Damien is a little murder happy psychopath <laughs> when we meet him. So I, I bet everything on Damien. Agreed. Agreed. And we're going to see what happens as we start to dive into the film with a scene that opens up that, in my opinion, is such an amazing callback to Batman Under the Red Hood. It's the Batmobile driving through the snowy terrain. We don't know who's driving it, but then we immediately find out that Damien has stolen the Batmobile as he is investigating a crime that connected to kids going missing. And for some reason, they've all had these toys from this place called Shots Toys. And appropriately, just like Under the Red Hood, a Robin is going into a warehouse alone without Batman for backup. So Batman is freaking out over the comms while Robin is confronting this, this vicious villain called the Dollmaker. And right before Robin discovers the villain, he sees all these tiny children in cages. And Dollmaker insists that he wants to fix them. He wants to protect them from the world by turning them into his twisted dolls. So that's when these little kids with these creepy doll faces that look a little malnourished and or zombified or something they start attacking Damien and as they're attacking Damien Batman jumps in he's taking on all these kids as Damien decides to go run off to take down the doll maker who's also taking this opportunity to escape and I love this one moment that happens because as Batman completely subdues all the kids that have been tortured by Dollmaker. With gas, he, we want to say. Just, oh, yes, yes. He doesn't, uh, <laughs> he, he doesn't <laughs> knock them all unconscious like he, like if you were selling an eighth in Gotham, Batman would break your arm and kick you into a coma. But for the kids, he seduces them with some sleeping gas. Yes, yes. Let's make sure we put that disclaimer on there. <laughs> As he finally subdues the kids, he goes over to the cages and breaks all the chains that are keeping the other kids locked in the cages. At this moment, this one little girl sees Batman and completely just runs into his arms. And Batman just assures her at this moment that she's safe. She's truly safe. And I love this moment because I feel like it's showing that Bruce's time with Damien, which at this point in the film, we learn maybe it's been a couple of months now since Damien has been with Batman. But it shows that Bruce is really leaning into his paternal instincts something that we've never really seen before because of the fact that in this new universe, Batman didn't know about his son until just the last movie, just a couple months ago. Yeah, and it definitely also is a nice callback to Batman's own traumatic past, which everybody knows by now. We don't have to spell that out. <laughs> but um, that moment where he's comforting a child after this great tragedy is something I bet he wishes he had after seeing his parents gunned down, I bet he wishes someone had come up to him and just said, it's okay, even though both of them seriously need therapy, the kid and Batman. Yeah. But it was a really nice moment that they stopped the movie to really let you absorb that moment. And that's from this point where I knew that this was not your typical Batman punch him up. Like they were going to go deep from this moment. And as Batman is having this moment, we cut back to Damien, who's chasing after the doll maker. And once again, it seems as if 
Damien isn't listening to Batman about justice, not vengeance, a line that is echoed out um, a couple of times throughout the film, but we first hear it here in this moment. As he has a dollmaker dead to rights, the dollmaker is pleading for his life, and you think that Damien's actually going to kill him, but instead Damien just stabs the ground next to his head, walks away, says his mantra on justice, not vengeance, and at that moment, Dollmaker is getting back up, ready to kill Damien. But right before he does so, you hear a sound of flesh being pierced. And as Damien turns around, he sees that the Dollmaker is now dead with blood on his shirt. And as he falls, there's this assassin dressed up in all black, very sharp talons. And as he's standing there, he's holding the beating heart of Dollmaker in his hands, telling Damien that it's okay to trust his instincts. Yeah, it was such a brutal moment. And I, I can't believe I, I'd seen this movie years ago and I don't remember someone's heart being ripped out within the first 10 minutes, but this happens. And of course you can't disagree with why Talon wanted to do this, uh, the assassin, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> um, but, we were going um, to find out his name eventually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't disagree with why Talon wanted to do this, but they also did make a point to show that Dollmaker was also the subject of abuse as a child, which does not excuse anything he does, but it also shows that Talon went after somebody who really needed mental help and jail time but instead he decided to just prevent the chance from this ever happening again by taking out his still beating heart and that is something that carries on through the rest of the movie as talon escapes robin is left confused and batman arrives and more or less blames robin for killing dollmaker Robin then is appalled by this accusation, professes that he never was the one that killed him, but the fact that Bruce is still continuing to see him as this person, that already just goes to show that there's already bumping heads there. As Damien runs away with the cops coming after, well, not after him, but coming to, to find um, Dollmaker and to save all the kids, Batman looks down and sees that there's a feather in the mouth of Dollmaker and at that moment, we get our title screen of Batman versus Robin introducing us to this whole big thing that's happening between Damien and Bruce, showing that their, their time together is coming to an explosive head. Yes, it was a great, creepy, atmospheric opening. It set up all these character relationships and motivations. And after we get this very dark beginning, they decide to ease us in with Batman having a date with his new girlfriend, Samantha. Alfred mm -hmm. is the greatest wingman, helping him out, <laughs> trying, trying to nice. help him get there. Batman tries to uh, move the proceedings to a more private place before Damien wakes up and kind of ruins his mojo. I think this actually answers our question from the uh, Son of Batman film of uh, what Damien would have done if Batman and... Talia where it happened to you know engage in relations oh yeah <laughs> <Damien> <laughs> was shut it down <laughs> there's nothing that ruins the mood more than your homicidal son uh, <laughs> just showing up and in an interesting really tiny moment that is also very effective 
when Damien is introduced to the girlfriend, Samantha, Batman doesn't say that Damien is his son. Mm -hmm. He doesn't explain it. He just calls him his ward. Mm -hmm. And I just found out so interesting that Batman had thought like explaining where this son came from would be too complicated and could lead to a lot of (laughs) unnecessary questions. So instead he decided, you know what? Not my son. I'm going to make him another like Dick Grayson Mm -hmm. and that'll be the public face. So I really, really like that small moment. Yeah. And that small moments just continue in terms of their connection because Damien shows that he's been reading some book by Charles Dickens. I believe it was Oliver Twist. I think I got like a really quick glance at the screen. Mm -hmm. And as he's explaining the fact that he's reading through all of Dickens' novels, Bruce has also explained that he's done that when he was just as young as Damien. So Bruce offers one additional opportunity for the two of them to bond as he offers to let's go watch this movie and I love this one scene in which he calls for Alfred to prep some popcorn because <laughs> Alfred's humor, again, is so on point. As Batman's requesting that the popcorn have all the butter and Alfred is like, I'm sorry, you do know about the high cholesterol that happens <laughs> when you drench your popcorn and butter. And it's just like, this is Batman. The, if we found out that Batman died of cholesterol and Alfred just be standing over, just like told him so <laughs> i would accept that yeah i mean i guess in a very roundabout way you could say this is foreshadowing his future heart problems that <laughs> multiple media and like they cover this in dark knight returns and batman beyond he always has some kind of heart issue mm-hmm. um so maybe that's the sly reference to that i just loved how serious batman was when he ordered this popcorn he just he was his face was like he was like depositing money at the bank to get popcorn with butter like i don't know why he (laughs) takes this so seriously and they watch the movie and then we cut back to a scene now where damien later on the night again tries to sneak out it was really great to see this scene because we get to see the full extent of um wayne manor security but also all the gadgets that damien has at his disposal and right before he it seems as damien's about to escape and venture out through the night he gets electrocuted by the fence Bruce is watching as this is all happening. And we have another heart-to-heart arguing moment between the two of them. Damien is upset about the fact that he can't go out on his own as himself, as Damien, because Bruce hasn't signed the papers to um, legalize his presence here. And Bruce is just talking with him, telling him just to wait. We will do this. We'll be proper about this. I just want to make sure that the world knows that when you are my son, that there is no illegitimate claim to that fact. We go back to the Batcave. Bruce is building something while also analyzing the feather that he picked up from the doll maker's mouth. And they have, once again, another heart to heart, which shows to me that, like you said, Andrew, this is a duo that needs some therapy, man. Like <laughs> they just have all these times to talk to each other and no one is actually doing it because no one's forcing them to sit down and speak. Yeah, they need to get out of that cave a little bit more because... They, they, there are so many shades of their relationship and you can see how close they are and how similar they are, even though they want to, don't want to admit it. And they just can't get past that, that barrier. Mm-hmm. So much so that Batman decides to investigate the lead on his own and he sends a Nightwing 
to babysit Damien, which translates to Nightwing, please beat the crap out of Damien for a couple of hours while I'm out here investigating. <laughs> yeah, and there was something big that happened in that moment there too. As Nightwing is sparring with Damien, he says that Damien could never measure up to Robin and that, in fact, he really was the only one. So my question is, in this new 52 universe, in this cinematic universe, is there no Jason Todd? Is there no Tim Drake? Because this is big. We have evidence that Dick and Damien were the only kids that Batman took in. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. I think Bad Blood brings in all the Bat allies. So I don't Mm. remember if Red Hood is in that or if it's just like Nightwing, Damien, etc. But yeah, there in any case of what the lore of this universe is, there's definitely this feeling from Dick that he is the true Robin, which the subtext of is he's Batman's only son. Like this, mm-hmm. this blood relation he just found is not more a Batman's son than he is. And I think he's very touchy about it. And that's where Robin, the new Robin Damien, always tries to needle him, just reminding him, I'm the biological son you're nothing and it's very it's such a sore point for nightwing who seems so casual even even when damien throws my favorite insult of the movie i don't need to be trained by a circus clown like come on bro stop it with the heat nightwing Nightwing doesn't deserve this (laughs) um but yeah there's definitely this this friction and tension that's building between them and even though you're really wrapped up in that, we have to get back to the main plot. So Batman comes back. He's searching through a museum. And we slip into some flashbacks mm-hmm. about the Court of Owls. As we are seeing Batman reflect on his past, the first scene is of him and his father. His father is telling him the nursery rhyme about the Court of Owls. It's Beware the court of owls that watches all the time, ruling Gotham from a shadowy perch behind granite and lime. They watch you at your hearth. They watch you in your bed. Speak not a whispered word of them or just send a talon for your head. And if that doesn't give you like the Freddy Krueger, one, two, Freddy's coming for you vibes, I don't know what will. Yeah, that, that's going to give a kid nightmares. Thomas, don't don't tell your son these nursery rhymes before right. bed. <laughs> It's like, sir, come on. You want the kid to go to sleep. (laughs) But in this flashback, Bruce is just, young Bruce, wants to make sure that the talents and the court of vowels aren't real. And his father assures him that they aren't. And as he says that he will always be there to protect them, they immediately jump to the scene where his parents are shot and killed. Great cut. I think, you know, we're all tired of seeing Batman's parents get gunned down, Uncle Ben die. Mm -hmm. But this is one of those occasions where it works because, you know, it's it's directly tied into the story because it says what affected Batman most about his parents' death. And now we know it's the idea that the world was safe and kind before they died. And that safety is taken away, that they couldn't fulfill their promise is the thing that shocked him most to his core. And you see him as a child trying to find evidence of the Court of Owls. He's investigating Gotham, but he gets no leads. And he 
breaks down in front of Alfred and you even get some emotion from Alfred, which is good on its own. But since this Alfred is so dry and sarcastic to see him (laughs) nearly cry on Mm -hmm. screen had me like a little choked up. Alfred, (laughs) Alfred, don't, don't cry. Don't cry. Yes, that's the petition for us in this episode. Please don't give us any more scenes of Alfred crying. Take care of this man. Yeah, we've, we've seen enough. <laughs> so we cut back to now Bruce is being attacked by some assassins in the museum. They're all dressed like Talon. And as he's fighting them off, they're really just taking him down. He's getting all the cuts. And at one point, he takes off the mask of one of these assassins and revealing it to be this zombified being so bruce doesn't know what to expect he's fighting for his life now at this point and right as he's crashing through buildings and walls and into a dinosaur that's in the middle of the entire museum the assassins walk up to him to give him the final blow and at that moment they just all disintegrate leaving batman for dead as he presses the button on his utility belt to call for alfred signaling that he needs some help. Alfred decides to call Nightwing, who at this point is still supposed to be watching Damien. And before Nightwing answers the call, I think this is my favorite Easter egg here because the person that Nightwing is talking to on the phone is clearly Starfire and they're Mm -hmm. clearly in a relationship because Nightwing unfortunately can't be pulled away from his duty of watching over Damien. But Starfire is telling him that, look, you can get it tonight. <laughs> That's basically what she's saying. She's got the outfit ready. And <laughs> this is, take notes, writers. If you want to have a healthy relationship that is, you know, physical between two people, this is how you do it. It's on the phone. They're in an intimate relationship. You don't have to unzip Starfire's <laughs> chest and show all her cleavage all the time. Like Talia, you can just have a normal conversation between two healthy adults. Mm-hmm. And as Nightwing sees the call from Alfred, he also sees that Damien has once again escaped into the night. It was to cut to a scene with Damien, who is now taking down some street thugs attacking this elderly couple. And as Damien has them both pinned to the floor, the, um, the street thugs, Talon makes his appearance once again, pushing Damien to kill them. Yeah, Damien says one of them, another one of my favorite lines of this movie, they're like, we surrender. And he's like, who said surrender was an option? <laughs> he's ready. He's, Damien is ready to do it. But once Talon shows up and pressures him, Damien kind of backs off and decides, nah, I'm not going to clean up this filth. I'm just going to leave them be. Mm-hmm. And Damien decides to chase after Talon, who they go to Talon's hideout, which is looks like kind of like a a karate studio filled with a lot of um, costumes that are like Talon's own, but just different accents based off of, I'm guessing, almost time periods. And it was just, you can clearly see here that we haven't really met them yet, but the influence of the Court of Owls is making his first presence here. Talon reveals to Damien that he's looking to take on Damien as a protege because clearly Batman's method of of lock him up, hope for rehabilitation isn't working. So he's asking Damien, who clearly is like him, wants to fight crime by ending crime. 
to to be his protege and he gives Damien a little device to let him know that he can always call him whenever he decides to actually join. Damien returns to the to Wayne Manor to see a bandaged up Bruce who is completely upset over the fact that Damien has once again gone out and this leads to another argument between the two and I think this is probably our biggest argument that we see given the fact that this is once again Bruce asking Damien to just work with him and get annoyed by that fact and Damien is just so confused at this point because he just feels like once again he's just being held within this home yeah Damien during this argument he calls himself a biological accident that's how disconnected he feels from Batman you know Mm -hmm. really a double insult to Robin uh the original Robin Nightwing because now Nightwing is like you get to be Batman's biological son and you don't even seem to want it and it it really seems to to needle at Nightwing and they don't go into a whole conversation with Nightwing, but just the facial expressions and the animation here, you can tell that Nightwing is really affected by all of this going on. And Damien decides to escape again, which Alfred reveals that he let down all the security measures because he wanted Damien to go out and explore. And if he comes back, then there's a level of trust there. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't, then... Alfred was wrong and Batman is pissed about this but honestly I agree with Alfred same I think that was honestly the best way to handle it it didn't make any sense to to keep Damien locked up in this way especially because already in the first movie with Son of Batman Damien has been out in the world people know who he is or at least have an idea about him but Bruce can't handle this moment right now because he's getting ready to go on a date with Samantha again And as he's driving over while talking with her on the phone, he's attacked, but this time by the actual members of the Court of Owls. And Bruce here, I want to say, clearly graduated from the Dominic Toretto School of Fast and the Furious Driving. Hell yeah. Because, (laughs) wow. He's living a quarter mile at a time, dodging cars left and right. And they eventually catch up with him. But I got to give props to my man. He got messed up by a bunch of Mm -hmm. zombified talons the day before so the fact that he led a car chase for any amount of time is impressive. <laughs> he gets into another <laughs> severe car accident. Oh, gosh. <laughs> At the end of the sequence, I don't know how he's still alive. And he's dragged to the Court of Owls. Where the court reveals that earlier in the movie, Bruce shared this plan of revamping Gotham. Um, he wanted to, to really build it up. And he was willing to invest his own capital into it. The Court of Owls reveals that they also want to be a part of this plan because they know that Bruce wants to do this. And they feel like the best way for the two of them to work together is for Bruce to join the Court of Owls. He seems almost kind of willing to do it, mainly because he's pushing to get more information from them. He's asking, what about Batman? How do we tackle him? They reveal to him that, you know, Batman's being handled as we speak. And... As Bruce decides that he wants to keep playing this game, he decides to say that he wants to consider it, needs some more time to think it through, but places the tracker that he had in his pocket onto the mask that they offered him and put it back onto the pedestal that it was right before they drugged him once again and took him back home. 
Yeah, Bruce has all kinds of messed up things in his system from all of this week. Painkillers, right? psychopathic drugs, everything. <laughs> While Bruce is getting a minute to recover, Damien once again fails to kill a target set by him, by Talon. And we find out two major things about Talon in a short sequence. One, the Court of Owls wants to essentially turn him into a zombie to mm-hmm. lead a generation of talons which is a nice call back to the lazarus pit reviving you and giving you immortality the court of talons wants to give you a kind of twisted immortality by turning you into a mindless zombie which talon is like i don't know about that and we also get talon's backstory uh, a little bit more about him where you find out that he was the essentially adopted son of a thief and the thief never he was never good enough for the thieves the thief would abuse him would beat him because he just couldn't measure up to the thief's stature so he calls the police on the thief and (laughs) the police (laughs) i guess this is gotham pd or another kind of police department because they shoot (laughs) first and don't ask questions later and they kill talon's father figure which leads him to get being abducted by the Court of Owls. After sharing this story, Batman enters and he tries to take on Talon to tell him that he needs to get away from Robin. And this is the final heart-to-heart between Batman and Robin as Robin allows Talon to escape. And as Batman tries to chase, that, chase after him, Robin starts to attack Batman leading to the title card fight of this entire film of Batman versus Robin. And I got to say, Batman was whooping that ass. Hell yeah. He was giving his child an old school beating. Not like we condone that sort of thing, but damn. (laughs) He, what, this fight, you just got to see it. But one of my favorite parts is Batman handcuffs Damien to a rope at one point. Damien picks the lock on the handcuffs runs down the building vertically yes and then attacks batman and they both tumble into the ground i'm like yo this kid is good (laughs) and i love that moment because it was the first time i think i've ever seen like damien almost exhibit super speed pretty much yeah and the other crazy thing about it was as they're free falling batman moves himself in a way to take the most of the hit as they hit the ground, showing that he's still once again shielding his son from harm. Batman, once again, I feel like in this movie, Batman has been left bleeding so often. My God, this man, car crash, beaten up by zombies, now falling like 20 stories onto the ground to protect his son. Give him a minute. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like, I understand that Batman doesn't quit, but but man, can someone bring in some orange slices? Yeah, him and Ant-Man have a lot to talk about, because they both, they both suffer. <laughs> and as Batman is looking up at Damien, Damien picks up a splinter piece of wood that broke off from when they were falling, and he looks him again into the eye Batman is telling him that if the, if he's going to become the assassin that his grandfather raised him to be, this is it. This is the moment. Prove it to him right now. Because otherwise, what? why are we always doing this? Damien doesn't do it. 
And there's that one little moment where you can see that maybe Batman is finally getting through to him. However, this leads to their final talk in which Damien says that he can't go back with Batman and he decides to go meet up with Talon. Yes, before we get into the the real big climactic matchups in the, the final half, I have to mention that Talon is revealed to be dating Bruce's girlfriend, Samantha. Turns out she's also in the Court of Owls. And it just goes to show you that everyone in this movie has a very healthy sex life. Maybe not Bruce, because <laughs> he's sleeping with a Court of Owls member, but everyone's doing pretty well in this movie. The villains, good guys, everyone's getting a little bit. And as Talon and Samantha are talking, revealing more and more of their plan, you can see that Samantha is the one that's pulling the strings. She is, uh, I believe at this point, we also reveal that she is the actual grandmaster of the Court of Owls because we see that the suit is there who of the person who was talking to Bruce when he first received that invitation. And we get the chance to finally hear our villain plan of Talon recruiting Robin so that he can take on Talon's place so that way Talon can actually become a member of the court and sit side by side with the Grandmaster being Samantha. Yep. Turn a little kid into a zombie. That seems (laughs) fair, Talon. (laughs) So Batman decides to try to go into the Court of Owls as his full bat self. They drug him and he tries to shrug it off by saying, you think you're the first ones to drug me? But uh, this drug is a little bit stronger. He has this crazy vision where Batman guns down his parents in the alley. And when he gets a closer look at the Batman, he realizes under the cowl is not Bruce Wayne, but it's Damien an adult Damian Wayne who becomes this demon out of control vigilante because Bruce fails to teach him justice, not vengeance. And in honestly, one of the best animated scenes in this entire universe, the Damian Wayne Batman is shooting at Bruce. And instead of dodging the hits, Bruce takes the gunshots one after another after another until he gets to Damien and he hugs Damien. Even after all this violence and blood that Damien gives him, Bruce still wants to embrace him as a son. And that's what breaks him out of this nightmarish vision of the future. I, what, what do you think of this scene? I, I, I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it, especially because it is a callback to to um, back to our Batman and Sun comics, there was some continual comics after the fact of which Batman is dealing with ghosts of his past, present, and future, much like a Christmas Carol, but not much like it. Mm-hmm. And in his future one, they show Damien being the one that takes on the mantle and him turning into this demon like Batman the attire, everything was exactly the same. And I love that they did that because it really did show Batman's fear, especially that was echoed a lot through the comics, but Batman's fear of failing in this particular sense come into life again. And for fans who were like myself, who read that original comic and to see it here 
animated it's such a scene where once again you see Bruce is kicking into his paternal instincts so hard where he's just like I need to stop Damien but not in the sense of I need to take him down like it's just like one of my everyday villains I need to save Damien it's the same motivations that Batman had when he took in Dick Grayson when he took in Jason Todd when he took in Tim Drake he saw all of these kids as kids that could that are literally on the fence of being of the law of being right or wrong and he felt that by him taking that step to bring them in to channel their anger their frustrations their sadness into something that was possibly a bit more positive this is batman right here this is for me why i think batman is such a great character and this I don't know. It's like honestly, it was like a thirty-second scene. Yeah, was able to portray that so well in the Cape Crusader. Yeah, I a hundred percent. There are so many interpretations that get so obsessed with Batman being this violent criminal, taking mm-hmm. back the streets, being a symbol, and that's all well and good. But it's the humanity that gives that Batman that duality and makes him so interesting. And this movie definitely. Already has taken multiple times, but keeps hammering in that Batman is a human being and he's really trying yes. underneath all this bravado, he's really trying to to be a better human. And it's a great juxtaposition to the scene we get right after this, where Talon is bringing Damien to the Court of Owls and Damien is forced mm-hmm. to unmask. The Court of Owls does a one plus one equals two. Damien Wayne, Batman, Robin oh my god Bruce Wayne is Batman and we're like oh my god this is a big revelation how are they going to handle this well conveniently Talon kills everybody in the court of owls Mm -hmm. that was that heard the revelation including his girlfriend Samantha kills them all puts Damien in a cage sounds familiar we'll talk about that a little bit later (laughs) and then he takes the bunch of zombie Talons and decides to attack Wayne Manor Mm-hmm. where Bruce, Nightwing, and yes, Alfred are ready to defend the mansion. And kudos to Alfred, because for some deep cut knowledge, Alfred is a trained army guy. He, he's, he was part of the, I think it was part of MI6 or something like that. But in this iteration, we haven't really seen Alfred really fight. In this movie, though... I want Alfred by my side, no matter what. This man pulled out with the shotgun, taking out everything coming down left or right as Batman is in this full armor suit that's reminiscent of the Hellbat armor. And but before that, I just want to say that they I'm so happy that they included this line because it is part of the original comic that inspired this movie of when Batman first jumps into the armor, he it's like Hulkbuster armor if you yes. haven't seen it. Like, I just picture the big, bulky Hulkbuster, tall suit, metal Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he comes out in his in his armor, and as he sees everybody there, he's, he just yells out, I'm going to tell you this one last time. Get the hell out of my cave. And that was in the comics, and honestly, I think I've read that scene. Every single time I open that book, I have to jump to that scene first before I reread it. And I love it. And I'm so glad they included it into the movie. Yeah. See, if you're going to have your Batman curse, because he also throws in a sons of bitches. I wrote that line too. (laughs) You sons of bitches. If you're going to have him curse at all, uh, definitely 
So do make it appropriate, you know, make mm-hmm. it not just, I don't know why I'm saying this. No, don't just have him curse out Joker on a random bridge in the middle of nowhere in the <laughs> epilogue of your movie. Why don't you just tie it into the plot organically like you did here? And it is great. We should mention at this point that since they're all zombies, Batman can kill, dismember, whatever he wants to him. And he does. He does a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Alfred's with the shoddy. He jumps on the armored Batman's back at one point. Nightwing, with some beautiful choreo, is hitting the double is screen with sticks, knocking out every zombie. It's ah, it's gorgeous. It's yeah. a great scene. It's, so it, it's it's such it's such an amazing fight, and it's a fight that I definitely saw happening in from this Bat family. So Damien escapes from the court headquarters and is able to call out to Alfred to let him know that one of the other ways that they can take down a mass majority of the Talons who are attacking them is to lower the temperature as they can't handle freezing temperatures. Damien makes his way over to the Batcave. And at that moment, we see that Talon has now taken on the fight to Batman. The two of them are fighting. And during this back and forth, Talon shares to Bruce that he could be a better father to Damien than he can ever be. We see now that Damien jumps in to save his father. This is this is it. This is the final battle as the two of them go back and forth exhibiting all of their martial arts skills. And as Damien is able to protect his father, what ends up happening is he's Damien grabs one of the sides that Talon uses. And as he's stopping Talon from moving forward by pointing the side at his neck, this is Talon's one last attempt to saying, you know, this could be it right here. You can cross the line by killing me. And Damien refuses. At that moment, Talon says, well, I'll just have to cross that line for you. Takes Damien's hand and plunges the side through his throat, killing him instantly. Yeah, and, you know, it's one of those, this is not on Damien's kill record, but it it does shake him because very mm-hmm. technically he was involved. Mm-hmm. and you see it affect him which tells us that you know that nightmare vision of Damien gunning down people relentlessly is probably not going to come true if he had this much problem being involved in a death however indirectly so so after this great climactic fight Batman and Damien have this one last heart to heart and Batman opens up the home he acknowledges his, his trauma he says we both need to get through this and Damien isn't ready to come back to the mansion yet. So he, Batman offers Damien an alternative, which is to see a collection of monks that might help him find some peace. And with that information, Damien kind of refuses it, but he does acknowledge his father. They have an affectionate moment and then he gets the hell out to some mountains for some some monk training and that's it we're done that's the movie (laughs) yes so what did you think of the movie i will not say this lightly but i'm giving this 10 talons out of 10 this justifies having another batman movie because again like i said there are a million batman animated movies out there gonna be a million live action one day but this this film definitely justifies its own existence. It goes much further than it needs to be. 
And I just want to highlight two things that I, I loved and that you should definitely go back and check out. The fight scenes and the choreography for these fight scenes is so detailed. It's so specific. It's so technical. Batman's fight with Talon. You can see them thinking about the next move. You can see their individual limbs moving and responding. And it, the way it's animated is gorgeous. You need to watch every fight scene. Write this down. This is how you animate a fight scene. And the running theme of fathers and sons throughout the movie is prevalent. Everybody has a father-son relationship they're dealing with. But I love the parallels of Talon and Robin to Dollmaker at the beginning, this throwaway villain. Because Dollmaker, to protect the children, he makes them in his image. He makes them in the Dollmaker image. And he puts them in cages. And he says, this is what will prepare you for the world. And Talon, not only does he literally put Robin in a cage at the end of the movie, but he spends the entire movie trying to remake Robin in his image, to be Talon, to be like him. And Robin, having experienced what the Dollmaker was, rejects Talon at the end because he recognizes, as much as he might agree with the philosophy, this man is not fit to be a father. He doesn't know what being a father is. It's not just remaking your child in your image. It's nurturing them, letting them grow and find their own path in the world. Yeah, I agree with all that, and especially with your rating. This is personally one of my favorite installments into the DC animated universe now, especially because these are stories that were written not too long before this movie came out. And, you know, it's hard to get a film adaptation of a story like this because of the fact that or just a film adaptation of stories in general, because you have to deal with like, will it be completed in time? How are we going to portray things on film that can't, you know, that were done so well in the story and in, in writing? How can we show that on film? There's always an error that might come out of it. And honestly, I felt like there was no error here. And one of the best things about this too was we get an introduction of the, to the Court of Owls, a group that was just recently created. I think we are now at the 10 year anniversary mark almost mm -hmm. of their creation. And with them being created in 2011 to them being successfully put onto film by 2015. And now they're also making their way into every single span of stories and arcs dealing with Batman and Gotham to from other films, other shows, other video games. It's amazing. They really knocked this one out the park especially because this for me was the very introduction to me actually now liking Damian Wayne in this storyline. I, you know, there was a, there was a bit of moments in Son of Batman where he just, you know, he wasn't the character for me, but this one really knocked it in for me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to say something rare that you're probably never going to hear on this podcast. Again, I have no RTA alteration leave this movie as is it it's perfect it's it's perfect oh man that that's that's big i yeah that <laughs> i'm sorry for all the fans who were looking for one but when you you're right when you find a good movie or in fact a perfect story you can't mess with it i'm not changing a damn thing <laughs> nothing <laughs> get the hell out of the editing cave because this movie is done and it's perfect <laughs>
<laughs> All right, so that was our film. And now it's time for that comic book knowledge. As we go through the story that inspired this film, its similarities, its differences, where it went wrong, or in this case, where it went really, really great. Yeah. So the first thing I want to do is talk about the Court of Owls and this story, as I would like to now call the Owls in Your Court, Batman. <laughs> oh, a subtitle that works. <laughs> so this group was introduced by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo in their Batman run back in 2011. And they serve as the main antagonist of the Cape Crusaders' first New 52 story. This was about 12 comics within his run. So already it's like pretty high up there along with kind of Flashpoint because not only these were 12 main comics in the Batman story, but with the tie-ins and the whole Bat family being included, we're looking at 24 comics in total that made up this story. Ooh, this is like a Lord of the Rings epic. <laughs> yup, got that right. And as the film showed us, the Court of Owls are a group of Gotham's wealthiest and elite who have been manipulating Gotham since the colonial times, if not earlier. In fact, they've grown over the years to the point that in the new, they've surpassed New 52 and gone on to the DC Rebirth set of comics, where they've been showing that their influence has actually been dating back to the dawn of man. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they were like, you know what, Neanderthals? You're going to use wooden clubs now. That's Court <laughs> Owls, baby. And it was truly one of the most popular stories that came out during this time. And it wasn't like the movie at all. The movie, we got a chance to see Damien and how he was being affected by the Court of Owls. In the comic, it was less of Damien's growing pain story and more of a story that pushed Batman's detective skills to its absolute limit because the Court of Owls' influence on Gotham was so embedded deeply that it had an impact on his family, both biologically and the Bat family. Uh, some of the major similarities that we see, as I mentioned, is their influence. But one of the biggest similarities, which I was really hoping they expanded a bit on, was the labyrinth that Batman was trapped in when he first tackled on to the court of owls in his uh, in his full suit the story showed it as more of a uh time period that passed where batman is trying to find his way out of the labyrinth and it spanned over a period of a week so all of the things the easter eggs that were there we got to see like the owl that scratched that scratched out batman's eye in the film leaving this really one side unbothered Batman, but the other side is tethered, distraught Batman. And we also got a chance to see how being in that labyrinth was one of Batman's biggest mental tests with his career. And he also, there's also a moment in which Batman is greeted by his parents. This is such a big moment because, you know, as we know, this is Batman seeing Thomas and Martha again for the first time. And as he goes in for the embrace, he's attacked by them as they turn into these owl-like figures. And at that moment, Talon comes in for the final blow, but Batman finds a way to overcome it all, showing that he really is the city's defender, which I think they did a really good job in showing in the movie as he's able to fight back against everything that's there. Though he does get pulled out and saved by Alfred and Nightwing as they wrap him up 
And we get a chance to see him be in that same straight jacket that was both portrayed in the film and the comic, because in the comic, he's been in there for over a week. So it's understandable that at this point, he's just so mentally distraught. Uh, but now, I will honestly say that this film did such a great job with putting forward the same storyline from this comic into these 80 minutes that the differences that I saw, I could have done without. I'm fine, I'm fine that they didn't include it because Ooh. it would have just added some more complexity to the story that would have forced this movie to, from that was really only 80 minutes, that would need the force to become a four hour long movie with, with 10% of it being in slow-mo. <laughs> <laughs> there was no no registered slow-mo in this film they didn't have time for it they had to get through this thing in 80 minutes and yeah this is this is a historic episode of the podcast i have no alterations you have no comic changes like yeah. this movie is uh this is uh the best one i think we've seen so far yeah they really like i said like i'll keep saying they really knocked it out the park with this one but some of the major differences that we did see were the fact, as I mentioned, that uh, Talon was targeting Robin. Damien plays so much of a smaller part in this story that I think that his role was reduced to cameos, honestly, in the story. <laughs> so he was just popping in like, hey, guys, still here. Yeah. And he leaves in the comics. <laughs> there is one touching moment where um, Damien, as they're searching for Batman, who has been who hasn't been found in over a week, he goes over to Commissioner Gordon, who at this point is still lighting the bat signal. And as the bat signal is just running out of the battery and juice, which I didn't know it could, uh, <laughs> but I guess actually the light is being burned out. <laughs> oh, right, the lamp. But like, that does bring questions. Is the city paying for the bat signal? Like, is this my electric, is this why my electric bill is so high? Is the bat signal? I Tell me, Bruce, you're a billionaire. Fix it. <laughs> and as the signal is burning out, Damien runs over and is demanding for it to be turned back on. In this moment, he just fully breaks down now as Commissioner Gordon hugs him because they both lost somebody who was so big in their life. We don't, Commissioner Gordon doesn't know that Damien is Batman's son, but he knows that this is someone that is very close to him. And this is our first moment in the new 52 universe where we get to see a very short lined communication between Jim and Damien as Damien is just pleading for this light to be turned on, showing once again, the effect that the Court of Valses have on the Bat family. The other major difference is Talon. We don't get a name for our, for our Talon here in this film we really just get introduced to him based off of flashbacks. We kind of know who his character is, but in the comic, it was such a bigger, more kind of plot twist change. So Batman does kill him, as I mentioned, when he escapes from the labyrinth. And as he, Batman's made his way back to the, to the Batcave, he's unconsolably distraught over the fact when he sees the dead body of Talon in the Batcave. Alfred and Nightwing were able to bring him back. And once Batman recovers, he decides that it's time to find out who this Talon really is. He finds out that his name is William Cobb. And William Cobb is the great grandfather of Dick Grayson. 
Oh, damn. This was just one of the many familial connections that the Court of Owls had on the Bat family. So Bruce reveals after some digging that the Haley Circus, where Nightwing was raised, was a direct source for the Talons in the Court of Owls. So he reveals to, to Dick that if Bruce hadn't taken him in back when he was younger, he would have, uh, Nightwing would have been the next Talon. Wow. Because there's a prophecy amongst the Court of Isles that in order to take over Gotham, they must have the Grey Sun. That is amazing. And now I think there was a little moment where Talon and Nightwing were fighting. And Talon goes, you would have made a great Talon. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, there's so much more to that line than it looked. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like I said, to, to introduce that into the film would have been complicated because you would need way more time. But... For all these little subtle nods, that's why it's just like, yes, like I didn't need that to be fully explained. I would love to have read this out here, but to have it here in the film is just knowing that like my comic book heart just swelled a little. Yes, I love it. <laughs> and the other familial connection, which was also referenced in the film, was Bruce Wayne's ancestors. It wasn't Thomas or Martha that had a connection to the Court of Owls or seen to be taken in. It was Bruce's great-grandfather as well, if not his grandfather, Alan Wayne. In the comic, we get a full half-issue story arc showing how Alan Wayne was being chased by the Court of Owls. He was also trapped in the labyrinth. And you can see in the comic, they have the camera there in the labyrinth where they take pictures of the people they trapped there. And it's a progression of how much they're losing their mind throughout the time that they're in there. And while he's there, Bruce sees a picture of his grandfather. So... At one point, he remembers the stories of his grandfather being attacked or mentioning about how to beware of owls because he had this very innate fear of owls. So he realized that this is the connection. Alan Wayne was also one of the people that built up Gotham and the Court of Owls wanted their influence in there too. So when he opposed to it, Alan Wayne being so superstitious blocked off the 13th floor of every single one of the buildings that he had connections to in Gotham. When Bruce decides that he wants to investigate this a bit more, it's revealed that not only was his grandfather killed by the Court of Owls, but also that in every single one of these buildings, the 13th floor that his grandfather had blocked off is now an owl's nest or a Court of Owls nest where he sees all the assassin gear. It's basically like mini bat caves in every single one of these buildings. Take notes. If you think you're being petty to anyone this week, look at the Court of Owls and how <laughs> they got back at a guy who wouldn't let them design a skyscraper. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, that is so evil. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite lines in the comic too, because Bruce says that in order to take on if you have a rivalry the best way to hide against your enemy is right underneath their feet and this is where he gets the idea of checking out the the 13th floor of every single one of these buildings right before they explode in his face once again showing that the owls knew what he was up to yeah batman takes a lot of l's in the story but you know what (laughs) every once in a while you gotta take a few l's to learn and grow yes exactly And those were really some of the major differences that, you know, didn't really need to be in the film, but 
Um, just wanted to share because I, they really helped to push the story along in the comic because like I said, it was less about Damien and his growing pains with Batman and more about how can we push Batman to the ultimate limit and Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo successfully did that in 2011 with their comic. And the other thing too, is that like something that was, I was hoping to see in the film, Batman has his own line of sneakers. Mm, yeah. Those, those, what'd you call them? The, oh yeah. The dub Knights. The dub Knights. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And every single time that we see a shot of Batman kicking somebody in the face or other body part, there is, you get a chance to see the sole of his shoe. And it's just this giant boot with a little bat, man insignia right in the middle of it so in case you're wondering who kicked you in the face batman will just say it was me <laughs> that, that's how you brand somebody that's that's good synergy you, you go to the hospital you have a big bat mark on your face that's how you know who did yeah. it <laughs> and but yeah i'll list out all of these comics in the recommended reading section after our discussion here because these comics are really great especially if you want to dive in a, a bit more when looking into the history of the Court of Owls. Yes, and I got to say, it's going to be tough comparing another Batman movie so soon, but that's what the DC Animated Universe did to us. It's going to put another <laughs> Batman movie right after this. And you know what? Go go to your doctor and, and take some samples because the next one is is Batman Bad Blood. That's That's what the title is, Bad Blood. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no connection to Taylor Swift. We're still trying to determine that, but as of right now, no connection to Taylor Swift. Yeah, you won't hear the song, so don't come here expecting the song, all right? It's just a movie. <laughs> Until then, take care and try not to have any talents come for your head. Yeah, and if you do, you can blow them up. They're zombies, so it won't violate your no-kill code. Now that we've finished talking about our DC animated content, here are some recommended readings for you. All these comics and more can be found at your local comic shop, so remember to venture out and support your part of the source wall, and tell them Andrew and Shamar sent you. First on our list is Batman Court of Owls. This comic from 2011 by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo is our new 52 intro to Bruce Wayne and his work as a son and savior of Gotham. This also serves as our intro to the Court of Owls and their long-lasting influence. Next on our list is Batman Night of Owls. A continuation of Snyder and Capullo's run, we see the first and biggest battle of Batman and company against the court. Finally, we have Batman and Robin Born to Kill. This 2011 New 52 comic I recently found showcases a similar dynamic to the film of Damien and Bruce learning to work together. When an unhinged vigilante wants to eliminate crime by killing his targets, he sets his sight on Robin, trying to get him to lean into his assassin training as Bruce fights to save the last shred of humanity his son has. That's all for our list. Thank you for listening and be sure to rate, review, and follow yet another DC animated podcast. Also, interact with us on social media for news on upcoming content. Take care and we'll see you for the next issue.